Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures. And it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada Land. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada Land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com join. And thank you. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, CAMH. It's never an easy call with so many problems in the world to know where to direct the money that you donate when you want to help out in this world. But what I can tell you is that when you donate to CAMH, you're saving lives. We know about the opioid crisis. We know about the mental health crisis. They are doing the work. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where no one is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help us treat addiction and build hope. Jordan Peterson is back. But is he? Yes, he is back with a new number one bestseller. And yes, he is back from the brink of death, back from a chemically induced coma administered by radical physicians in Russia so that he wouldn't feel the withdrawal effects from kicking his benzo addiction. So yes, he's back. But it sure doesn't feel like he's back to where he was. Three years ago, Peterson was inescapable. Everything he said seemed to generate headlines. He sold 5 million books. He went on tour around the world and spoke to sold-out crowds in 160 cities. He did interview after interview. He said that he would talk to anyone, and he did. This time, it's different. He agreed to one interview with the UK Times to promote his new book. And when the questions got tough, his daughter shut it down. And Peterson hasn't really done mainstream media since. The truth is, he doesn't need to. He got what he needed from the mainstream. A core customer base of thousands of true believers who will buy his books and his lobster print hoodies, pay for his personality test, and even 
enroll in his $65,000 U.S. unaccredited business school. All of which is to say, it kind of seems like he's over. He made a big buck in the culture wars, and now he can squeeze plenty more out of his moment without having to endure the slings and arrows of constant combat. He can engage only with those who revere him as their high priest and who tithe to him accordingly. Jordan Peterson is set for life. He can eat filet mignon three meals a day, and he probably does. My man is on an all-meat diet. And what all of that means is, maybe we don't have to talk about him anymore. And yet here I am. Look, things feel very different out there than they have ever felt before. For like five years, we all had no choice but to hear the name Trump a hundred times a day. Then he lost the election and his Twitter account, and poof. It almost feels like all that stuff never even happened. But that's just what it feels like. The reality is, it did happen. And nothing just disappears. The energy of this last chapter, the anger, the violence, it might ebb and flow. It might pop up to the surface and, and then disappear down below. But it still exists. Three years ago, I took a close look at Jordan Peterson. Peterson the media phenomenon, not Jordan Peterson the man. And listening back on that now, I'm just as certain that what happened with that guy happened for a reason, and that we still need to try to understand that reason. So I do apologize. If you were grateful about the possibility of not hearing another word about Jordan Peterson, I understand. But I think that a very specific hazard of this never-ending moment that we're in is that it is so fucking traumatic, so fucking frequently, that we are prone to just spin wildly away from one bit of nasty business and right towards the next, remembering nothing. So today we bring you, again, the Canada Land Guide to Jordan Peterson, originally published in February 2018. And pay special attention to the bit towards the end, where Peterson tells his interviewer that he is afraid of saying something inappropriate that will sink him. I want you to pay attention to who he says that to, because it kind of blew my mind. Wait for it. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Sean Wilson, Jordan Rosman, Fred Melot, Sumeya Muse, Ian Reynolds, Taylor Mappin, Hannah Cohen, and John. Hi, my name's John. I live in Vancouver, and I support Canada Land because it's important to have strong, independent journalism in Canada. Here's the media math of Jordan Peterson. Here's how Jordan Peterson works. He is teed up to an audience as a controversial figure, somebody dangerous, somebody who is out there ruffling feathers, somebody who is hated. University of Toronto psychology professor Jordan Peterson has a fight on his hands. The Canadian psychology professor is somebody people love or love to hate. So this is good drama as far as intros go. You have tension and high stakes baked into the segment before the guest even appears. Who is this monster we're about to see who has everyone so upset? And then cut to a very normal, very calm, very serious and scholarly looking fellow. 
He speaks clearly and concisely. Typically, he'll begin by saying entirely reasonable things that are very hard to argue with. You help people understand why it's necessary and important for them to grow up and adopt responsibility, why that isn't a shake your finger and get your act together sort of thing, but why it's more like a delineation of the kind of destiny that makes life worth living. Pretty soon thereafter, he is challenged. The host or another guest comes on strong. They take a shot at him or a series of shots at him. Why are you against the use of alternate pronouns? Richard Spencer wears a pep. He's a white supremacist. He wears the Pepe symbol. It's become adopted. I'm sure you know this by by the far right. And here you are holding up a flag like it's it's a joke. Peterson, do you have any comments on the Nazi presence at your protest? But do you agree that it's unfair if you're a woman? Not necessarily. And on average, you're getting paid nine percent less than a man. That's not fair, is it? It depends on why it's happening. His accusers look frustrated, worked up and upset. He looks perfectly calm very tolerant, maybe a bit exhausted to have to explain to these tantruming children yet again something so simple. What I said at the beginning was that I was not going to cede the linguistic territory to radical leftists, regardless of whether or not it was put in law. Well, I've probably had my photo taken with five or 6,000 people in the last No, but this year, is so. with a Pepe flag. I am not an advocate of violence. I'm speaking out the way I'm speaking out because I think this is a route to no violence. You don't think we should talk to people on the right? I talk to people who want to talk to me. I'm only a provocateur insofar as when I say what I believe to be true, it's provocative. There's like a judo effect. He takes the aggressive momentum of his attackers and with a quick sidestep and an effortless flip of his pinky, uses it against them. As they lie on the ground, dazed, with stars and Tweety Birds circling their heads, he proceeds to drop some logic. Stern reasonable-seeming dad stuff. Because you're competing with other people. You know, they're smart, they're hardworking, and if you want to be at the top, you have to be smarter and work harder than any of them. One of the common routes to extreme unhappiness is to want children and not have them. I wouldn't recommend that. Then we just repeat the cycle. And the host, or the guest, the other panelist he's pitted against, they seem certain that this whole reasonable thing is just an act, that what he's saying is a smokescreen for some hidden Jordan Peterson agenda that they can draw out. And, and Peterson swats them away again. Now, occasionally this goes really well for Peterson and his interrogator is left just stammering and blathering and their own agenda and bias is totally exposed in their failed attempt to expose his. And those are the clips that go viral. Most notably, his recent Channel 4 interview in the UK with Kathy Newman, which has over 5 million views, which leveled Peterson up to like a whole new tier of fame and book sales. As far as academics go, Jordan B. Peterson is now very, very famous. Recent New York Times editorial wondered if he might be the most influential public intellectual in the Western world right now. So to start with today, let's have a look at how that happened. Two years ago, Jordan Peterson was pretty obscure. He was a psychology professor at the University of Toronto who gave long thinking out loud lectures tackling the big questions of life, drawing from Freud, the Bible, etc. At some point, he started posting them to YouTube. They sounded like this. Even the term id, which actually means it, originates from Nietzsche. The dynamic concept of mind with the notions of mental energy, 
quanta of latent or inhibited energy or release of energy or transfer from so one far to another. As it's possible to do that reduction, I'm going to do that. And I'm going to leave the other phenomena floating in the air because they can't be pinned down. Now, this is a subjective thing. Uh, it's a matter of opinion and different people's voices and their charm and charisma. You know, different people find that in different people. But I think it's fair to say he was not the kind of uh, flamboyant and charismatic professor who you would think was destined for international fame. But then, as the legend goes, something happened. Jordan Peterson took a principled stand and refused to do something that nobody had ever actually asked him to do. But it was something that he could hypothetically be asked to do in the future. And though he has said that, you know, if he were asked politely by somebody to do it, he probably would just do it. However, if, again, hypothetically, he was asked by an authority to do it, he wouldn't do it. Never. And that thing that he would never do if an authority asked him to is to refer to people by their chosen pronouns. His defiant stand against this hypothetical request caught the eye of, I think, first the University of Toronto's varsity newspaper. And then it was actually former Canada Land reporter Sean Craig who wrote about it for the National Post in a story that blew up pretty far and wide. And with it blew up the controversy around Bill C-16, which was not really a very controversial piece of legislation beforehand, since all it does is add gender identity and gender expression to the list of things that you can't discriminate on the basis of. At the risk of opening up that whole controversy again, but with a need to summarize it, I'll say this. Peterson's big issue with that bill is that he believed that if it became a law, it would force him, compelled speech, he would be forced to use gender-neutral pronouns. And what I want to say about that is just that that remains a very shaky idea at best. And I'm actually being very generous to his position and saying that it's a shaky idea and not just wrong. There are a lot of people who've analyzed this legislation and say that's just wrong. The bill would never require him to say these things. Bill C-16 is now a law. As far as I know, nobody has ever been forced by it to say the word Z. Regardless, his stance against the bill was very interesting to the media. Peterson was asked onto TVO, onto Steve Pakin's The Agenda. This is a nightly Ontario public television current affairs show, which became the first time that a lot of people ever saw Jordan Peterson. You've accused him of abusing students by not using the pronouns they want to be addressed That's by. That's how I see it, absolutely. Many how organizations. Is it tantamount to violence? Yes. How absolutely. about hate speech? Is it tantamount to yes, hate speech? Yes, of course, it's hate speech. That controversy and more that followed became kind of a formula for Jordan Peterson. You can chart his progress through his controversies. Every time there's a controversy, he got bigger and stronger. After the agenda, word got out that his grant request for research money had been denied. And, you know, the media rarely makes it an issue when a academic fails in a grant application. But in this case, Jordan Peterson told the media that he believed this was censorship for his stance against C-16 and other things. And his cause for this grave injustice was taken up by Christy Blashford of the National Post and also by the rebel media, who not only publicized this, but actually kind of went into business with him. And they crowdsourced almost $200,000 for him. And so he went into crowdfunding on his own. His next big controversy was, of course, the Lindsay Shepard incident, which, you know, that's some dumb luck for him, I guess, because this wasn't even a controversy that he instigated. This was when a teaching assistant was, I believe, unfairly reprimanded just for playing one of his videos to her students, but it reflected very well back for him and he championed her. Every time somebody comes after him or tries to shut down one of his talks, he gets bigger. 
and it's a business model now. I shouldn't say this, but I'm going to because it's just so goddamn funny. I can't help but say it. <laughs> I figured out how to monetize social justice warriors. <laughs> <laughs> that is what it is. I know. It's so funny. It I just can't believe it. The it's other just, way. It just, every time I think that, well, it's just one of the surreal circumstances that characterize my life. It's like I'm driving the social justice activists in Canada mad because if they let me speak, then I get to speak. And then more people support me on Patreon. It's like, hmm, that's annoying. It's like, goddamn capitalists make more money off this ideological warfare. It's like, okay, fine. Let's go protest. So they go protest me. And then that goes up on YouTube. And then my Patreon account goes way up. <laughs> so it's like, they don't know what to do. Now, the people paying him over a million dollars a year, his audience, by his own estimate, is over 80% male. All reasonable indications would suggest that it is also overwhelmingly young and overwhelmingly white. And the persona that he presents, that he markets to these young white men, is almost superheroic. Does that sound like uh, hyperbole, saying that he presents himself as a superhero? No, bucko, this is hyperbole. I'm reading now from his own book bio. Jordan B. Peterson raised and toughened in the frigid wastelands of northern Alberta, has flown a hammerhead roll in a carbon fiber stunt plane, explored an Arizona meteorite crater with astronauts, built a Native American longhouse on the upper floor of his Toronto home, and has been inducted into the coastal Pacific Kwakwakiwoke tribe. So he's a fighter pilot, he's an astronaut, a stunt pilot, he's an honorary indigenous person, he travels the globe, he's the Dos Equis guy, the most interesting man in the world, he's the dad that you wished you had. He's super dad for a generation that never had good dads, and he's here to tell you the rules for life, the way out of the chaos. And these days, a guy who commands that kind of reverence from that many young, wayward white guys is naturally going to fall under suspicion. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. And I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool. doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer, and it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, CAMH. We hear a lot about the opioid crisis. We talk a lot about the mental health crisis. These are serious problems. These problems affect us all. They've affected my life and my community. They're not intractable problems. I don't know what's going to solve them on a policy level, but day-to-day -day helping people, that's what CAMH does. They do it on the ground when people need help, and they do it through research. The team at CAMH gave our team a tour of their facilities, and we were really just blown away by the incredible heroic work that they're doing every day. They treat everyone with dignity and their research is seeking and finding real solutions for everyone. 
around the world. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where no one is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. So is Jordan Peterson a crypto Nazi? A closet white power guy? A secret fascist pretending to be calm and rational? No. No. No, that's silly. I don't believe that at all. I think that when you hear Jordan Peterson talking and reasoning and exploring ideas and presenting arguments, I think it's very clear that he is genuine. There is no act. What you see is what you get. However, the guy does have an agenda beyond just sharing his ideas and his advice. It's not a secret one. It's that he wants to sell books. That is no ugly accusation. That is why people with books go on book tours to do book interviews. The thing is, I don't think Peterson is very honest about the way he sells books. Here is what I mean. I want you to take, for example, this postmortem that he released on his own podcast in which he looks back at the Channel 4 interview a short time after it exploded. By the way, check out the theme music for the Jordan Peterson podcast. Welcome to the Jordan B. Peterson podcast. You can tell right off the bat that you are in for some scholarly stuff. Anyhow, he has his own fan interview him on his own podcast, which I have to say as a time-saving device is brilliant. I didn't know you could just do that. That would make life so much easier. And in his interview, he breaks down his epic win. He breaks it down beat by beat. Uh, the talk of the day, man, your interview with Channel 4, uh, Kathy Newman, it started, I was watching this and it was like a, uh, a self-propelled train wreck just for half an hour. It just kept on going. It was quite fun. The memes that came out of it were really good. Mm -hmm. How he outwitted Kathy Newman, how it went viral, how it boosted his book sales. She laid out a set of ideological presuppositions, two sets actually, her set and my set. And so she would ask me a question, which wasn't really a question. It was a, a barb with bait on the end of it. But ultimately, he concludes, he takes no joy in defeating and humiliating her as he did, even though it benefited him so tremendously. He says what he really wants, what he would have preferred, would have been for them to just have an actual conversation, a real dialogue. He says that he still wants that with Kathy Newman, and he's invited her to do that. And like, what he's insisting is that what he wants out of his TV interviews are not epic wins that go viral online, but real substantive dialogue. And on this, I must call bullshit. Because Peterson is smart and TV is kind of dumb. <laughs> that is not what he's after. Doing TV interview after TV interview, it is very predictable. I broke it down for you earlier. He will be challenged or pressed to defend his ideas against a broadcaster who doesn't really know his ideas very well. Sometimes they'll go easy on him, just one or two quote-unquote tough questions, like the Wendy Mesley interview. But every now and then, like the Channel 4 interview, they will really try to make a fool of him. And when that happens, he will trounce them calmly and handily, and his fame will grow. That's the business he's chosen. Jordan Peterson has not become an international media superstar without exerting his own agency. I'm sure that he wants to spread his ideas and help people with his advice, 
but he is working very hard to sell books. And the specific way in which Jordan Peterson sells books and sells Jordan Peterson is by having exactly those kinds of viral victories. I mean, think about his YouTube presence. Most of his most popular YouTube videos are not the ones of him doing like three-hour lectures. No, they are fan-made supercuts with titles like Those Seven Times Jordan Peterson Went Beast Mode and Jordan Peterson Destroys Transgender Pundit. Conflict and conquest and humiliation is his brand. And his brand, even beyond this book, is what he's selling. And I think that the reason that he is evasive and, and disingenuous about that fact is because I don't think that it's what he wants to be selling. I think it took him by surprise. His own fame seems to astonish him. Success found him late in his life. His first book, an academic book years ago, the hardcover sold under 500 copies. For many, many years, he was a working psychologist seeing patients and a working professor delivering lectures. And he was uploading these YouTube videos for quite a while before anything happened with them. There is no way he could have plotted or predicted that his defiant stance against pronouns would catapult him to fame. And he does not seem very comfortable with that fact. When asked by Wendy Mesley, why are you so famous? To what does he attribute his own phenomenon? He said this. I tell archetypal stories. Bullshit. Maybe that is what Peterson would like to be famous for, reminding us of great truths in a time of postmodern chaos, telling archetypal stories, but it ain't what he's actually famous for. And that is the one thing Jordan Peterson does not seem to want to analyze very carefully or closely. His own fame. His own brand. But, you know, like, as a rational and intelligent person, he must realize He's famous for saying fuck you to a hypothetical trans person who made a hypothetical demand of him. That's how he got a little bit famous, and every time he scores another victory against another snowflake, weirdo, SJW, media hacker, leftist, he gets more famous. Is that his fault? Is it fair to hold him responsible for his own brand? That is a contentious issue. It's one that infuriates him. The idea that he is responsible for the bad things that his fans do, that he's responsible for the alt-right, that he's responsible for the threats that his fans sent to Kathy Newman. But is he? I actually don't think so. To suggest that he's like some kind of puppet master ringleader who speaks in code and dog whistles, I don't think that that is accurate or fair in the least. And Peterson, to his credit, does not entirely wash his hands for the consequences of his media messages. In the case of Kathy Newman, he told them, back off, leave her alone. So credit where it's due, he did not want her to be harassed or hurt. And, you know, it would be disingenuous for him to say that he bears no responsibility for the impact of his media messages, because then he couldn't take responsibility for the good stuff, and he's very quick to do so. He takes a lot of responsibility for the positive impact that he says he's had on the lives of his fans. He claims that he has convinced countless young men to come back from radical extreme groups, to come back from the alt-right, to come back from white nationalist groups. He has broken their spell over them and he's given these young men purpose. Could be. To some degree, Jordan Peterson is selling self-help. I'm sure that his product works for some people. To some degree, he is Oprah for bros. But his fans take from his message something more than just advice for themselves. When Peterson says, don't be a victim, don't cry about how oppressed you are. 
sort yourself out. Well, you know, that's good advice for a lot of people to apply to themselves. But it has another implication when people project it outwards. You know, like if I'm going to take responsibility for myself and I'm going to get over all that victim shit, boo-hoo, poor me, then what about all these other crybabies who are still crying victim? I want to suggest to you that the underlying appeal of Peterson's message, the real appeal, the one that has proven so compelling around the world, it's something beyond the delicious thrill of watching him drag his pathetic enemies, beyond the perhaps more wholesome and positive value he brings, helping you get your shit together. It's something else entirely. It is that he is preaching a philosophy that excuses you from giving a shit about other people. And he is encouraging you to detest anyone who asks for anything. And let me be clear. I am not saying that his fans warp his message, that they take it upon themselves to use his self-help message and weaponize it against other people. I'm saying he actively encourages them to do this through his own words and through his own behavior. You might be noticing that the LGBT set of acronyms keeps growing, hey? Eh? It's kind of a form of its own parody in some sense. It's like, well, I'm oppressed. It's like, yeah, yeah, you are. And well, well, I'm oppressed too. Yeah, you're also oppressed. And maybe I'm even impressing you being part of this other marginalized group, but at least we share our oppression. Well, I'm also oppressed. Well, so am I, I'm oppressed too. It's like, okay, so here's a problem. There's a big problem here. The problem is it's true. You're oppressed, you're oppressed, you're oppressed. God only knows why. Maybe you're too short or you're not as beautiful as you could be. Or, you know, your parent, your grandparent was a serf, likely, because almost everybody's grand, great-grandparent was. You know, and you're not as smart as you could be. And you have a sick relative and you have your own physical problems. And it's like, frankly, you're a mess. And the entire sum of human history has conspired to produce victimized you with all your individual pathological problems. It's like, yes, true. Well, so what do you do in the face of that suffering? Try to reduce it. Start with yourself. What good are you? Get yourself together for Christ's sake so that when your father dies, you're not whining away in a corner and you can help plan the funeral and you can stand up solidly so that people can rely on you. That's better. Don't be a damn victim. Of course you're a victim. Jesus, obviously. How do you overcome the suffering of life? Is be a better person. Have queer people ever faced oppression that they could not overcome simply by improving themselves? The answer to oppression is to improve yourself. Not allowed to vote? Improve yourself. Enslaved? Improve yourself. These are historical examples of oppression, but they were not overcome through self-help. Women got the right to vote, and black people got desegregation, and queer people got basic human rights, and workers got the minimum wage, and we all got weekends by fighting. As groups, as self-identified groups through identity politics, by fighting for social justice. But in Peterson's universe, that kind of oppression, the kind that can only be overcome through social justice campaigns, it just doesn't exist for him. And anyone who would fight for social justice now, a social justice warrior, well, the ones we have now are whiners, and they are filled and motivated by jealousy and rage. And it's not just that they are disgusting and reprehensible. It's that they're dangerous to you. And you can bloody well be sure that as we implement social 
uh, policy to make sure that all outcomes are equal, that the amount of space that you personally are going to have to maneuver in is going to shrink and shrink and shrink and shrink. We've already seen that happen in many societies. Guys, they're coming for your space. The leftists, the SJWs, the feminists, the whiners. So, what are you going to do about it? This is Peterson's true appeal. This is why he's so famous. Not only does he excuse you from being a nice guy, you don't have to play along and act like you care about every group's complaints anymore, but you do need to be afraid. And you need to fight back. Or tomorrow, you might actually be a victim. A real one, too. Not a whiny, pretend victim. So you need to shut them down. Remember Lindsay Shepard... Vicky Machama, former co-host of Canada Land Commons, she was on a CBC TV show. She tried to make a point on the CBC, and that was a point about the idea of white privilege. You know, like when Masuma Khan, the student at Dalhousie University, when she was unfairly censured by her university for her unpopular speech, the free speech warriors, they didn't say a thing. None of them defended her. I think a lot of people responded to her for the same reasons they tend to respond to things, which is that she's a young, crying white girl. But there are lots of moments in which the academic freedom conversation could have been had and has been skipped over serially. And I don't think that she's the appropriate person to have launched this conversation. But when there was a young, crying white girl, Lindsay Shepard, the free speech warriors got very loud and it became like one of the biggest stories of the year. Now, look, you could disagree with that argument, and that's fine, but that is what Vicky was saying when she referred to Shepard as a young, crying white girl. She wasn't saying, look at this terrible girl, all crying and white. I deride her, in part on the basis of her white skin. She was saying that race played a role in the public's response, and Peterson attacked her for it. He accused Vicky Machama of promoting racism of rising the rate of racism in Canada by one or two percentage points. Racism against whites. The example that he set was clear. Push back, guys. Push back. Or your space will shrink and shrink and shrink. So is Jordan Peterson preparing his base for the coming race war? I do not think so. My read of him is that he is actually terrified of what he started. Nobody is more surprised than he is by his fame. But he took the bargain. He ain't no UFT prof anymore. He is on sabbatical after basically declaring war on his own institution, if not on the academic world itself. You can't go home after that. He needs the next epic win viral video humiliation. He has cast his lot with his mob. Is he driving them or are they driving him? Even he is not so sure. But he does seem to understand that whatever he's unleashed has a mind of its own. And so I have this immense multimedia platform, and I don't know exactly what to do with it. I mean, what I'm doing right now with it is making videos that I think are useful to people, interviewing people that I think are interesting to talk to. But I'm sort of shaping this as it's developing because there's no way of predicting it. And the, the, the overwhelming likelihood, as far as I'm concerned... And it's been this way ever since September of 2016, is that this will go terribly wrong. That's the most likely outcome. I've known that ever since I made those what videos. What do you mean by that? How would it go wrong? Oh, well, things go wrong all the time. You know, I no, say but something... No, what are you afraid of? Saying something inappropriate. Well, you've said lots of things that have made people angry. That's not the same thing. So wh why would you say something inappropriate? 
because people make mistakes. Mm. And so like I've been in a situation, I would say for 15 months, really, where I'm speaking publicly and, and I've been in front of the news media a lot and people are waiting. Well, they're waiting with things like this to say, look, well, you made a mistake here. It's like, yeah, well, I've done like 10,000 things in the last year and maybe I made a mistake. Did you? No, I don't think I made a mistake. Hmm. No. It's too much, eh? That's the thing. It's been too much for a long time. But so far, so good. And I'll write it out as well as I can. But I'm surfing a hundred foot wave. And generally what happens if you do that is that you drown. There's a reasonable possibility that things are going to go very wrong very soon. For whom? For all of us. For all of us. One thing Peterson says he's afraid of is saying the wrong thing. He should be worried about that. Because though he claims that he considers his words very, very carefully... The guy says some wacky stuff. His mode, again, is live exploration, free association, long, detailed spiels where he thinks out loud. And here he is doing that with Camille Paglia, suggesting that civil discourse between men and women is basically impossible because civil discourse can only exist if both parties respect each other. And that respect can only occur if there is a threat of violence should civil parameters be transgressed. And since men can't hit women for cultural reasons, well, we can't really respect them either. And we certainly can't have a civil discourse with them. And if that seems like I'm, you know, yet another media hack twisting his words, why don't I let him explain it to you himself? Because it's actually more extreme than how I had it. Here's the problem. I know how to stand up to a man who's, who's uh, unfairly trespassing against me. And the reason I know that is because the parameters for my resistance are quite well defined, which is we talk, we argue, we push, and then it becomes physical, right? Like if if we move beyond the boundaries of civil discourse, we know what the next step is. Okay, that's forbidden in in discourse with women. And so I don't think that men can control crazy women. I don't think, I really don't believe it. I think that they have to throw their hands up in, 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 in what, in, in, it's not even disbelief. It's that the cultural, there's no step forward that you can take under those circumstances because if the man is offensive enough and crazy enough, the, the re- reaction becomes physical right away or at least the threat is there. And when men are talking to each other in any serious manner, that underlying threat of physicality is always there, especially if it's a real conversation and keeps the thing civilized to some degree. You know, if you're talking to a man who wouldn't fight with you under any circumstances whatsoever, then you're talking to someone to whom you have absolutely no respect. And here he is freestyling, trying to figure out why on earth it is that feminist women would support radical Islamists. I'm actually not aware of any feminists who do. Uh, I think perhaps he's thinking of feminists who stand up for women who wear the burqa or the niqab. Anyhow, here's how Peterson reasons it out. The feminists, it's got to be because Muslims right now are higher up on the victim hierarchy than then. So even if it's way over there, they're not allowed to speak out against it. I think it's their unconscious wish for brutal male domination. (laughs) I don't think so. No, I like that. That's fun. Jordan Peterson is not ready for prime time. It's one thing for a guy like this to lecture psych students and to put some wild ideas out there for the consideration of curious young minds. For him to be feeding the reductive meme machine and providing the intellectual underpinning for a growing international throng of angry young white men is terrifying. 
And here I will make a totally subjective inference or two about his character as it presents itself in his copious media materials. I don't know the man personally. So these observations are very subjective, but I think they're accurate. Peterson seems like a very angry guy. He presents as dark and brooding. He, he can usually be found grimacing, scowling, humorless, grim. When he opens up his mind and lets you watch it wander, it goes to some frightening places. His worldview is harsh. He invokes the devil and hell with frequency. He sneers at his ideological enemies with sheer disgust. More people are listening to him than ever. They take him deadly seriously. And on this point, I agree with him 100%. It's not going to end well. That's your Canada land. I think you should help us make it. We want to give you free stuff in exchange. It's really easy. Just click on the link in the show notes or go to canadaland.com slash join. And for as little as five bucks a month, you can be helping to keep independent journalism going. We rely on your support. You can email me at jesse at canadaland.com. I read them all. We're on Twitter at CanadaLand and our website is canadaland.com. That's where you can sign up for our newsletter. I recommend that you do. This episode is produced by Ali Graham. It was mixed by Jeremy Kessler. Our managing editor is Andrea Schmidt. Our theme music is by SoCal. Syndication is handled by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at CFUV.ca. If you like this show, please support it. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures. And it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada Land. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada Land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. A couple of years ago, a cop was shot dead on a deserted pier in the tiny nation of Belize. The only other person there that night was a frightened young woman found covered in blood. By all appearances, it was an open and shut case. But not in Belize, where this woman was connected to a mysterious billionaire who basically runs the place. Justice will not be served in this case. She's going to get away with it. Or will she? White Devil, a Campside Media original. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.